I'm Edwina Johnson, Director of Byron Writers Festival. You're listening to a podcast with Jane Harper in conversation with Morel Day, recorded live at the 2018 Byron Writers Festival. For more information about the festival, please visit byronwritersfestival.com. I'd like to first acknowledge and pay my respect to the Arakal people of the Bundjalung Nation whose stories reside in this landscape, this country that surrounds us. Um, Good morning and welcome to this special In Conversation with Jane Harper. This is the first session in the Southern Cross tent on the first day of the Byron Writers Festival 2018 and the sun's out now so it's all perfect. Jane Harper is something of a phenomenon in Australian publishing. Uh, A gold standard, publishers say, oh, is it another Jane Harper? Yes or not, or no. She's the best-selling, award-winning writer of fiction, and some of Jane's many awards are, I think the first one was in 2015, the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for an Unpublished Manuscript. That was the dry, and I'm sure most people in the tent have read that. Uh, Then in 2017, there was a complete swathe of awards. I won't mention them all. I'll take the whole session. But some of them was the Australian Book Industry Awards Book of the Year and in the UK, the Gold Dagger for Best Crime Fiction, Best Crime Novel, and in Australia, the Ned Kelly Award for Best First Fiction. Not only the awards, but reviews have been superlative and worldwide the dry has sold around half a million copies. I think that's about the uh, rate at the moment. That's five with, you know, however many zeros after it. And on the bestseller list, stayed in the bestseller list in Australia, in the UK and the US for a long time. Um, And excitingly, the film rights were optioned by Pacific Standard, which is Reese Witherspoon and Bruno Papandrea's um, uh, production company. So my first question to Jane is, do you sometimes pinch yourself (laughs) to see whether you're dreaming? Yeah, I do, of course. I mean, it's it's been... um it's been so amazing the way that booksellers and readers have embraced the book, and it's not yeah both books really. It's nothing I expected when I started writing, um, the dry, which is my first novel. I mean, when I when I first started writing that, um, I did it really because I'd been a journalist for um, thirteen years working on newspapers, and I'd always kind of wanted to write a book, and I just never I'd never been able to find a motivation, and I'd never been able to kind of push myself to, you know, because it seems like such a massive undertaking. Um, and finally, I just thought, like, I'm, I'm just going to have to try and I'm just going to have to try and do it for my own gratification, really, and just try and f- start this thing and finish it, and that will have to be enough. So that kind of was enough, really, just the fact that I actually managed to finish the manuscript in the first place. And I didn't really have any expectations beyond that um, in terms of, it, honestly, even getting published. So for it to have been published and been, I guess, read by so many people, y- you know, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd, we'd like to dwell with the film for a little bit, <laughs> if we can, if we can do that. Did you have much involvement? Well, first of all, where were you when you first heard that it had been optioned by Reese Witherspoon? Yeah, so um, I remember quite clearly. Actually, I was at work. I was working at the um, Herald Sun in Melbourne at the time, and um, the reception in the office was really patchy. And I got a phone call for, through for my agent saying actually there's been some interest in, you know, the film rights. And, and she kept on sort of cutting out. So I was having to get this poem into repeat. <laughs> you know, I was just saying, what's so, can you just cut out that crucial moment? But finally, um, 
yeah, the sort of the words Reese Witherspoon managed to, to break through the static, and um, and I, I mean it was it was I couldn't believe it really. I mean I didn't honestly even know that that was on the cards. Like I didn't know it had gone out to to them. Um, so it was completely out of the blue, actually. But how long yeah. after the book was published did you get that? Um, it was before, actually. So oh, right. um, it was well before. It was um, I got the. Um, it was in October two thousand and fourteen, and it no fifth. So October two thousand and fifteen, and the book didn't come out till June two thousand and sixteen. So they picked it up when it was still um, unpublished. And did you have much, uh, or do you have much involvement in what's happening with the film? So they. Um, they, yeah, they, they do keep me informed about what's going on. So um, I think there'll be an announcement quite soon, actually, about some developments in, in the film, um, which I have to, unfortunately, wait for them to announce because it's not my announcement to make, unfortunately. But it's, um, it's going ahead. They've got funding in place. Um, it's going to be filmed um, in Australia in Victoria, um, which I'm really pleased about. I'm glad they're kind of keeping that, you know, that Australian element. That was something that I was really, you know, really wanted to see happen. Um, and I've seen um, sort of scripts done, or uh, well, a, a version of the script is done, which I've seen, and um, you does know, that stick pretty closely to the book. Yeah, they do. I think. I mean, whenever if they ever ask my opinion on anything, I always kind of my preference is always obviously to kind of go back to the book in terms of like the feel and the tone and the characterization. So, yeah, any sort of question they come to me with I, I always kind of you know steer them down that kind of alley um and to and they have actually you know um done that really like um I think it's um yeah I think they've done a, the script is you know it's only one part of it obviously there's still you know the, I guess the acting and the filming the editing to go but I think they have actually really um taken the elements that um are recognizable to me for sure the the plot that sort of sticks Closely, you know, as close as you can, condensing it down to a movie um, length, and the characters are very recognisable, and a lot of the dialogue is from the book. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited to kind of see, yeah, just sort of see the process as it goes goes from here, really. And without mentioning any names, who the, the person they've cast for Aaron Falk, who's the main protagonist, is he how you imagined him in your head? I think um, absolutely. In the they've, I can see. I wish I could say who it was, but um, <laughs> go on. We won't tell anybody. <laughs> um, but I can, I can absolutely see. Um, yes, I think in terms of when I think of um, when I think of Fork and the kind of the man he is and the character he is and the way he reacts to situations and the sort of what he, I guess he brings to the story. Um, yes, I can see that coming across on screen with this person. Okay, that's so I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's all the wonderful cream on the cake, but first of all, you had to bake the cake and do the hard work, so this doesn't come out of thin air. Um, so you were a journalist before you turned to novel writing, and, and I believe you did a, an online course? Yeah, so um, so I was working full-time as a journalist, and that was kind of all I'd done ever since university. I just worked on newspapers. Um, and... So I was writing every day, you know, like thousands of words a week and things. But I just, um, I really wanted to write a novel, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't make myself do it. Like I just couldn't, honestly, find the energy to like turn a computer back on when I got home from work. And and I was sort of going through these years were kind of ticking over, and I, I, it was sort of getting quite frustrating to me. This, this book just wasn't materialising, and obviously it was because I wasn't doing it. You know, I mean, that was the pretty obvious reason why not, because I wasn't writing it. That's a big um, clue, yes. And, um, and I think what it was, really, it, sort of, it sort of took me a bit of, the, the, I guess, the realisation in myself that I, I couldn't, um, 
I, I, I was struggling to sort of motivate myself to do it. And I think I needed, as I've often needed in my kind of work life, I guess that kind of external deadline. Because as a journalist, that's often what you're responding to. And you're kind of conditioned to, I guess, you know, write to deadline and write to, you know, sort of an external expectation. Um, and I thought, well, maybe if I, if I do a... I'll try and find a course because then I've got that kind of external pressure and if someone's sort of expecting me to at least be working on a thing and, you know, submitting maybe samples every now and again. And, um, and I just went online and found this course that was starting quite soon um, that was being run out of the UK by a literary agency. And um, as part of that, you had to send off a, um, a, a, a like a 3,000-word sample and um, a bit of a synopsis. So I kind of sat down and thought, what should I write about? And I wanted to write about something about Australia and I wanted to write a kind of mystery sort of suspense novel because those are the kind of books I quite enjoyed reading. And um, yeah, and I came up with this idea and sent it off and it was a, that was the book that eventually became The Dry. So yeah, I worked on that as part of that. So you had an opening passage and, and an outline for the rest of the book. I wonder if we could hear that opening passage. Um, yeah, so, um, so I'll just read... Um, okay, so I'll just read the prologue from The Dry, which actually, I've all, I mean, the book did change a lot. You know, as, as you sort of work on it, it is like a really evol evolving process and things get added and things get taken away and stuff. But actually, the prologue actually barely changed at all, really. So it's actually quite... Um, it's, it's quite similar. It's been tightened and, you know, finessed a bit. But it's, um, it's, it is, in essence, actually what it was right from the start. Um, okay, so I'll just read the prologue quickly then. It wasn't as though the farm hadn't seen death before and the blowflies didn't discriminate. To them, there was little difference between a carcass and a corpse. The droughts had left the flies spoiled for choice that summer and they sought out the unblinking eyes and sticky wounds as farmers of Kawara levelled their rifles at skinny livestock. No rain meant no feed and no feed made for difficult decisions as a tiny town shimmered under day after day of burning blue sky. It'll break, the farmer said, as the months ticked over to the second year. They repeated the words out loud to each other like a mantra and under their breaths to themselves like a prayer. At least the blowflies were happy. The finds that day were unusual, though, smaller and with smoothness to the flesh. Not that it mattered. They were the same way it counted, with the glassy eyes and the wet wounds. The body in the clearing was the freshest. It took the flies slightly longer to discover the two in the farmhouse, despite the farm door swinging open like an invitation. Those that ventured beyond the initial offering in the hallway were rewarded with another, this time in the bedroom. This one was smaller, but less engulfed by competition. First on the scene, the flies swarmed contentedly in the heat as the blood pooled black over tiles and carpet. Outside, washing hung still on the rotary line, bone dry and stiff from the sun. A child's scooter lay abandoned on a stepping stone path. Just one human heartbeat within a kilometre radius of the farm. So nothing reacted when deep inside the house, the baby started crying. Mm. And I can and imagine those people who were running that online course reading that for the first time <laughs> and thinking, we better grab her, don't let her escape. And I really want to read that book. That's what it does at the opening. So apart from the pressure of having to perform, um, you know, bring have some homework done every two weeks or whatever, what else did the course teach you about writing a novel? So there are a few things that um, actually I do still kind of use to this day, really. And I think, um, to be fair, it's probably nothing that actually you couldn't get from any, you know, decent writing course, but... Um, 
you know, I think it is useful if you haven't done fiction before for someone to point these things out. I think we can all learn, you know, benefit from professional feedback, really. Um, one of the things that I, I, the mistakes I used to make was, um, yeah, as a, when I was doing news, news stories as a journalist, you know, you obviously are very kind of, um, you, you know, you don't use adjectives, you don't use a lot of description, it's very kind of sticking to the facts. And I think I made the mistake that a lot of debut novelists make, which is um, kind of overloading your writing with description because you think, you know, it's fiction and it needs it needs all these adjectives and things. And I remember the the online teacher sort of telling me, you know, quite bluntly saying, you know, this this thing is just it's just drowning drowning description and honestly it's not even your forte. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But it's weird because she gave me so she sort of gave me permission to just cut it out. And it was actually I remember feeling a sort of feeling of liberation and just going through and, you know, just like great, like there's this, you know, delete all this and and it, and, and um you know, and I still sort of think about that a lot in terms of um, kind of when you're writing a scene, like get in and get out. Like, what do they need to know? Like, just just get the character where they need to be as quickly as possible. Have the conversation you need to have, or see what they need to see. Show it to the reader, and then just move on. And I think that was um, something that you you do actually do in a different way in news news writing and in journalism. But um, I hadn't realised that actually you could apply it quite so directly to fiction. That's quite interesting because often when journalists go to novel writing, they keep writing in the same way, but, but you were the opposite. You, you went on with bigger descriptions than you would have done in your, your journalism. Yeah, I think it was just naivety, though, and inexperience. Like, I think yeah. when I actually, someone had pointed out I didn't need it, it was quite easy for me to then, it, it was, and it was quite a relief to just be able to cut right back. And, and, now, and now I feel actually with the fiction I write, quite closely to how I, I did used to write as a journalist. Right. Um, so that's been very a very helpful background. You haven't have had to unload that background. No, it's really helped me a lot. And I think, I mean, obviously people, so many people write books without having been a journalist first. But for me, I'm not, I'm not sure if I could have actually, um, because I, I do draw on those experiences all the time. Like, I, and I think the um, like clarity of writing is another thing and keeping the audience in mind is another big um, one that you do, it does get really drummed into as a, you know, especially on a newspaper, you know, you've got to think about the audience you're writing for and how to kind of present the story in a way that's going to be accessible with the information but not dumb it down and it's going to be appropriate for the kind of the target audience you're trying to reach. Um, and I do think about that a lot when I'm, you know, writing the books. So I, I, I feel like, you know, there's so many distractions, so many, so much sort of entertainment on offer. Um, I'm quite aware that people, you know, aren't going to stick with the book unless they're engaged and, you know, there's nothing to stop them putting it down and, and walking away. So I'm sort of constantly trying to think, you know, what can I, what can I give them to keep them interested and, and keep them engaged with the story? Did you have a reader in mind? I mean, were you, did you see it like as a communication you were actually writing for somebody, for a reader, an ideal reader? I think um, I'm a little bit wary of saying this because I think this isn't, by and large, not a great idea, but I think I was probably writing a bit for myself in terms of, but not not as a, and a, not as a personal project. Like, I mean, if I wanted to do as like a personal project, I'd obviously you know, just keep a diary or something. But it was, I was trying to write a book that I would enjoy reading. So I was trying to think, you know, if I were to go into a bookshop, what would I pick up and what would kind of make me want to pick up this book? And if I read the prologue, what would make me want to read on? And, and so I, w I sort of, um, I guess I was kind of, yeah, trying to write this book that I would like to read, but I was sort of thinking of it in terms of me as a sort of a separate reader, I guess. Because um, I think that's another thing that 
you know, sometimes as a, as debut novelist, it's quite easy to for it to become like a really personal, like passion project. And I think if you want to be you know, a published author, you do have to be aware that you're writing for other people. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's just, I guess it's just walking that balance. But um, well, you do that gradually, probably through the. I don't know if you write in drafts, but you would do maybe the first draft is closer to yourself, and by the time it's ready to submit, you're thinking more of, of the author. Yeah, I think so. And I think because it is that. such a layered process as well, that was the other thing that I really learned um, was that um, I, I used to, I think it held me back for years and years, I used to pick up books in, in shops and they were so kind of polished and finished and and I couldn't understand, I honestly could not understand how the author had brought them together, like 90,000 words. How do they kind of get all these ideas in one place? And I realised, and I'm sure this is true for it's definitely true for me, I'm sure for lots of people. Like, it, it doesn't start like that in any way. Like, I mean, you start off with, like, an idea and then you have kind of a bit of a skeleton and then, you know, from there you'll think of other, you know, ways to kind of drive the plot and then you might add in, like, sort of setting elements and then the characters will become more clear to you. And so it, it's a very it's a very sort of layered, built-up process. And at the end, like, the only thing the reader sees is, like, the finished, kind of fully you know, proofread, edited version. Um and and I think it took me a while to realise that actually those early versions that are not so good and not coherent and have lots of holes in them, that's fine. That's like a process that you've got. You've yeah. just got to go through, really. It's like building a house. You can't just start doing the frilly bits. You've got to have No, exactly. Days. Yeah, there's no point thinking what colour to paint the kitchen if you're still yeah. putting the plumbing in. Haven't yeah, the kitchen yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you've probably heard that Michael Robotham talks about crime writers being plotters or pantsers. That is, that you either plot it before you begin or you do it by the seat of your pants yeah <laughs> which category would you put yourself in? um i'm a hundred percent a plotter like i can't even imagine i literally do not know how anybody would do this without knowing where it was going like it's, it's on it like i, I just I, I can't even sort of begin to think how you would do that but obviously people work in different ways and every author has a different mm. sort of style but for me i've become um if anything more more of a plotter as i've gone on so the first so with the dry i wrote um I had kind of the start and the end in mind and a couple of key points and a bit of a kind of vague character kind of outlines. Um, then for Force of Nature, I had, um, again, the start and the end and more points along the way and I knew the structure, how I wanted to sort of format it and um, I had the characters clearer from the start and then I've just finished um, my third book, which is coming out later this year, and that was, um, that was really plotted sort of to the point where I didn't... Um, I didn't write a word of it for months and months. I just kind of planned it all out and I had everything planned to the point where I even had sort of the opening and closing sentences of the chapters kind of worked out before I actually started writing it. So by the time I came to write it, I knew exactly where I was going with every single scene. I'm in awe. <laughs> <laughs> Being a pantser, I'm completely in awe. <laughs> but the thing is, I feel like if, if, you, if you don't... Because I, I think... The thing as well, when I was working my first novel, I think I didn't plan as much because I felt like it was um, procrastination and I felt like I'd procrastinated for years and years. Mm. And I, I think I thought, if I sit down and just like try and plot this, it's just another excuse for me not to be writing my book. Um, and I think maybe in that, that was probably true for me at that time, you know. Um, but then, like, as I've kind of, I guess, got a bit more experience in things, it's, it's become obvious to me that actually at some point you do have to solve these questions and you have to make decisions about what's going to happen in the red herrings and things. So 
I find like if I just do, if I plan it first, it just saves me like thousands of, work. like, you know, at some point you have yeah. to work it out. I didn't work it out in like two sentences or 2,000 words, you know. <laughs> so, so that becomes like a roadmap and you just, then you go on the journey. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you ever deviate when you um, get down with the characters and they're saying, oh, actually, we want to do this instead of what you had planned? Um, so, actually, funnily enough, with, so with this latest one, no, not so much. Like, I, Well, I, they did a bit, but I, I made it all happen during the planning stage, so I, I really planned it out. And, and then, yeah, there were some things that kind of changed. But then, because it, it was only plan, I could just, like, swap scenes, you know, and I just would, you know, delete whole scenes because there were only three sentences or whatever. Um, so it was a lot easier. That was another thing. It was a lot easier to do that because, well, I haven't invested any time in it, so I'm just going to cut this whole, you know, family dinner or whatever. Mm. Um, but it was interesting because I actually did... I did write the whole thing, and then once it was all there in front of me, and I read it through, and then <laughs> literally I finished it, and then honestly, four days later, I suddenly thought, oh, do you know what, actually, I just had a really, I just had a really good idea. <laughs> and this is, a, this is actually what needs to happen. Like, there was something missing in it, and I couldn't work out what it was. And, then, and it was only when I read it through, I was like, oh. And it was this kind of moment when I thought, oh, God, like, after all my planning, I'm going to have to break into it again, yeah. and, you know. And I did, but if I hadn't done all the planning in the first time, I'm not sure I would have maybe come to that realisation. So yeah. I did still have to then break into it and rewrite it, but um, at least the basics were there. Well, you need, somehow you need to log that information into your brain so that it, it can play with it too. It gets yeah. something out of the, the back room and says, look, what about this? This might, yeah. this might fit. Yeah. So I think also when you're, when you're doing like your early drafts, there's so much information you're trying to get down. I mean, you're trying to you work out people's names and their ages and where they live and like, you know, how they feel about their, you know, their father or whatever. Like it's all, there's all this kind of stuff that's playing into it. And I think um, at some point, you know, if you can get as much of that down on paper, then it does free up brain space. Yeah. I think will actually, you know, Maybe that's not as important as, you know, this incident in their childhood or whatever. So I think sometimes, yeah, it, it's inevitable that, you know, ideas will evolve and you'll just have to kind of go with it, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's good. With, with the dry, um, we'll, we'll talk about the force of nature shortly. Um, I'm just wondering, you said you, you wanted to write a mystery and I'm just wondering, because what you've got there is so much more than than an investigation into the crime. It's an insightful portrait of a small drought-affected Australian community and really well-observed small-town relationships and secrets. Could you have done that without the, the um, arc of, of the investigation of the crime? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting, actually, because um, people, people sort of assume that I'm a really big crime reader, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of what I, you know, like the only thing I read and things. But in actual fact, like, I actually don't... I actually don't read that much crime, especially these days, um, because I find a lot of crime books um, fall into what I think is a little bit of a trap of just stuff happening. So it's just like one thing after another and it's, you know, sort of like a plucky investigator and they kind of, you know, and, and they sort of get sent down the wrong track and it's just like one event after the other. And it's, it's, okay, it's okay while you're reading it, but then you shut it and you've forgotten it 30 seconds later mm -hmm. and there's nothing that kind of sticks with you. And I think um, one thing I always sort of, I guess, aim to do is to try and, I didn't really aim to do this at the start, but like, but I suppose like ideally you want to kind of have a slightly bigger, bigger arc and something a bit more, you know, about the characters, I guess, and the the sort of the trials that they're facing and how that's kind of affecting their larger lives. That hopefully will resonate with people in their lives, I suppose, and and sort of, you know, tap into some of those emotions that we all experience. Um, 
so I think I kind of try and do two things. I mean, one is that I do, I do think plot is really important. I think it's really important to have something that does draw the reader through and makes them want to continue on. And for me, um, I do like, in, like books with a bit of mystery and ones that kind of keep you guessing and um, have that kind of, I guess, page-turning sort of element. But at the same time, um, I think, you know, as, as a writer, I think you do try and, you know, try and think about the bigger picture stuff as well and what's maybe going to stay with the reader after they found out who done it, what, what's going to kind of stick with them. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is bigger than the crime. I mean, it addresses social issues and touches on mythic things in, in our psyche. Um, tell us about Aaron Fork. Where did he come from? Yeah, so he was um, actually another example of um, what I was saying earlier about it being quite a layered process because it wasn't... Um, so I didn't start with him. It wasn't like I thought... I'm going to write a book about this guy. It was um, I actually started with the, actually with the, the sort of the, the, I guess the mystery element of this family who's um, found dead in this drought-stricken community, and um, with the main character. So the main character actually developed sort of out of necessity, really, because I wanted someone who was close to the family but not related, and um, particularly close to the father. But I didn't want it to be, um, I didn't want it to be a. Uh, like an ex-girlfriend so I didn't want to have a kind of like a, I guess a romantic or sexual dynamic there I wanted to be like just a, a, a quite a close well, friendship really was I thought was the best option and I wanted it to be um, someone who had a history in the town but um, had also moved away so had a bit of background knowledge but was able to you know, the reader could still experience and learn about this town through their eyes. And then personality-wise, I wanted to be someone that readers felt they could trust. So they actually kind of trusted his judgment and were sort of, you know, happy enough to kind of, um, you know, I, I guess sort of, yeah, go through the story with him. Um, and I wanted to sort of avoid, if possible, um, some of the sort of cliches you see quite often. Like, I didn't want him to be alcoholic and I didn't, you know... <laughs> Um, and I also wanted to kind of avoid that thing where, you know, it is like like a dumb country cop and then a smart city guy and the city guy kind of comes in and shows him how it's done. Like I wanted to, it, the, his relationship with the um, with Reiko, who's like the local police, I wanted that to be much more of a sort of a professional partnership really that I guess evolves into a friendship. But um, so it was a bit, it was, it was, that was kind of how he came about really. I, I just wanted someone to sort of, um, yeah, fill, fill those roles that I felt, you know, and I felt he was sort of the best person to kind of, tell the story through it's like you, you've got a job vacancy and he turned up yeah that's like right yeah <laughs> that's it yeah yeah um he's definitely very personally engaged in the dry i mean he's got that history well it's the the present tense crime of the the supposed murder suicide of the hadler family and the crime in the past that's to do with ellie deacon and it's um aaron working out trying to work out where he stands with it all as well but Force of Nature, he's in it again, but it's much more of an ensemble piece that leads up to the disappearance of, of um, one of the women. I'd just like to read the, again, great opening, a couple of lines. This is from Force of Nature. Later, the four women could finally agree on two things. One, no one saw the bushland swallow up Alice Russell. And two, Alice had a mean streak so sharp it could cut you. Um, so, the novel, as well as being told from his point of view, it's variously told by the women. Could you introduce us to each of those women in this in this story? Yeah. So, um, 
so in Force of Nature, the, um, a lot of the action centres around this group of five women who are um, colleagues, basically. And a bit like what I was saying with Fork, like I, I sort of developed their characters, um, again, out of kind of necessity, trying to think who would be best to kind of fill these, fill these roles. Um, so um, I wanted them to be um, a group who knew each other professionally but didn't um, have a close personal relationship um, as, a, as a group, although some have relationships within that group. But um, so you, you've got the boss and you've got kind of two middle management and then you've got two, like a sort of a young up and coming sort of high flyer and then you've got her sister who is just a bit of a um, kind of a hanger on sister. really. Twin sister, yeah. yeah, thank you. And um, and the and, and one thing I really um, wanted to kind of do with that kind of ensemble was look at the ways where you know, like in, in the workplace, how everybody, the hierarchy is quite set, you know, and the pecking order is sort of, um, you know, um, clearly there and you know who's the boss and you know who's not. And I think, you know, when you, I wanted to put him in this sort of situation where um, actually when, you know, things start to go wrong and they, they're under pressure, the, um, the dynamics change and actually it becomes less about, you know, who has the corner office and more about who's actually the fittest or who has... A bit of experience map reading or you know and and actually how those kind of dynamics um you know change their relationships with each other mm. so the relationships definitely change once they're out of that office environment um things go <laughs> terribly bad and they're outside of um, mobile phone range as well there's a group of men on that trip as well do you think the story as it as it happens in Force of Nature, would have played out in the same way had it been the group of men, if you'd focused on them? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, actually, because there's, there's, yeah, there's this parallel group of men who are doing the same, you know, the same kind of outbound retreats, um, you know, team-building walk. And um, and I, I never... Um, I always knew it was... I always wanted to write it about the group of women, so I never actually um, did a version, you know, even in draft, where it was men in that group. Um, but I have actually since thought about that and how it would be different. And I think... Um, yeah, I think I think you could actually tell a story. You know, I think you could probably tell the story in a similar way, but I think the dynamics would be different in mm. terms of just the way they would react to each other and um, and things like that. And I think um, I don't know. I, I just thought the women was sort of a more interesting dynamics. I think sometimes the the way that the sort of power struggle among women is a bit more nuanced. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. And I wonder whether there would have been any man left standing after <laughs> all they went through. Um, they might, might have killed each other before they got back on the bus. But it, the, the book opens with the men's, the men's group, the men in the men's group smugly sitting in their um, minibus waiting for the women to arrive back from their experience. And I wonder, are we stretching it too much to say that's a metaphor for... Um, uh, corporate life, men sitting smugly <laughs> sitting in position, waiting. the women struggling <laughs> to keep theirs. Yeah, well, I mean, quite quite quickly, they're sort of you know looking at their watch and thinking, oh, you know, these bloody women, like you know, can't read the maps and things. And um, and I think in that workplace as well, like it, it, they, we don't really see a lot of the women in in the workplace. But I think um, in my mind that that was a very it was quite a blokey corporate culture in that workplace, mm. which I think also plays into the way the women react to each other. Like maybe they're trying to sort of feel they have to hold their own in a certain way. In that, in that environment, so. Yeah. Um, the really big character in Force of Nature is the bush, is, is nature itself, and it, it, it arguably plays a role in what happens to Alice, the, the woman who's disappeared. Um, how, how is the, book depict, uh, the bush depicted in the book? Yeah, so I think um, with... Um, 
one thing I really like to try and do is try and make the settings very relevant to the plot. So um, that wasn't something that I kind of consciously did particularly um, when I first had the first idea for the drive, for example, but it sort of became apparent as I was writing it. And then with Force of Nature, I was much more like aware of it, I think. And then even more so with like the third book that I've just been working on. And um, because I think the setting, um, you know, it can help you out so much. And I think the Australian settings particularly, which as you know, we have this like incredible sort of diversity and we're one of these countries where you do um, actually have situations where people can be quite isolated, um, which doesn't happen, you know, in, in a lot of places in the world. And I think if you, um, just the, the sort of, like the visual aspects of it and then also the practical aspects, I think really help a lot with um, books that have this kind of mystery and suspense elements. Um, and I think it really, um, I like to have it so that the setting is not just there as like a backdrop, it actually um, does influence, you know, the characters and the way they respond to situations and their relationships with each other. So I'm kind of constantly trying to think, um, you know, how, how are their surroundings impacting their decisions at this moment? It is, it's positively alive. I was actually writing down some quotes about, about the bush and it's got, it, trees grew thick and dense on land that was reluctant to let anything escape. Um, uh, Beth couldn't shake the feeling that the bushland was talking about them. Another one, the landscape seemed to shift and alter when unobserved. I mean, it, it's a living thing it, it, and, it, and it's a kind of a dark presence as well. And, of course, there's the hint that there might be um, a serial killer out in this bush as well. And it seems to be like that's the predator in the bush that's it, it touches something... Uh, in the non-Indigenous Australian psyche, I mm. think, is a long history of having to challenge the bush or overcome it or it being a place where you can get completely lost. And I just want to ask you, um, there's a poem, My Country, in anybody who ever went to school in Australia probably knows it, um, by Dorothy McKellar, where the ordered woods and gardens of England is juxtaposed with the beauty and the terror and the droughts and flooding plains. Now, you had your formative years in both Australia and the UK. So I suppose you, you see the bush as a, the Australian landscape as an insider and an outsider. What's your mm -hmm. personal relationship with the bush? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, actually. I think I, I sort of... Um, like so, when when I used to, I used to live out here as a child, and then um, I went back to the UK and then moved back again as an adult. And it was interesting because when I came back, um, I had these quite strong memories of you know, yeah, like you know the country and the landscape, and and then it was interesting as an adult how um, like slightly different they were. You know, my perception, I realised my memories weren't maybe quite accurate, and and I just looking at it through. Um, as an adult who had spent years in England with a completely different landscape, it was interesting just um, to kind of see those differences. And I think it does, um, you know, that really did help me kind of tap in, I think, to the things that make it um, kind of unique to itself and, 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 and kind of draw out those elements, I suppose, that maybe I probably wouldn't have noticed had I actually spent all my teenage years here. I don't know if I would have been as quite aware of the differences and how... Um, you know how the Australian landscape is, you know, is sort of very special in its own way mm. and something that, you know, you don't really get elsewhere in the world. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I don't know, I mean, in terms of my own sort of relationship, I mean I, I, like I, I mean, I love it. I love this country and I love the way, 
you know, I, I love the, the beauty of it and things, but um, it doesn't stop me when I'm walking along a bushland track thinking, you know, um, what would happen if I actually did just go, <laughs> go wrong, you know? So I think that's the kind of, that's the city element is what I was sort of bringing out with Force of Nature as well. That is a bit of a primal fear of being lost in the bush, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Do you think that's particularly true for Australians or anybody? I don't know. It's probably anybody. I mean, it goes back to sort of, you know, like Hansel and Gretel and things, yeah. isn't it? I mean, like it's very sort of ingrained in our, you know, um, worldwide, you know, cultural stories, I think, that kind of people wandering off and not being able to find their way back. Yeah. Um, I think just before we – well, not just before we go, I'd really like you to speak about the third book. So we've got The Dry, Force of Nature, and there's a third book to coming out later this year. Yeah. So um, so my third book's called The Lost Man, and that's coming out on October 23rd. Um, and it's – I've absolutely, honestly loved writing this one. It was so much fun. I really I've enjoyed every moment of it. It's set in um, outback Queensland on a remote cattle station – and um, I went up there to like mm. to Birdsville and spent some time. Drove 900 k's across the outback with the local cop and things. And um, yeah, I had a, you know like so many sort of really interesting discussions with people. Um, and it's um, yeah, so it's it's got a lot of um, I think the elements that in the first two books. So like it's got this like sort of very intense setting. It's a, another sort of Australian mystery, so it's got a bit of that kind of suspense element as well. Um, and it's got some new characters in this one who. Um, I think, you know, really helps sort of tell the story in the best way. Is um, Fall, uh, Aaron in it again? No, it's this one's a standalone. Right. But um, mainly because um, just for the setting and the story that I wanted to tell, I think, like I was saying with Fork, like he, he I felt was the best person to tell that story mm. when I was riding the drive. But I think with this one, um, I could just see other characters so much, tell it so much better. And... You know, it's, they've come, it's come together, I think, exactly as kind of I was hoping it has. And so I'm really looking forward to this one coming out. And, yeah, I hope people enjoy it as much, really. Did, did you love it? Uh, would, would it be fair to say, again, that this won't go outside the tent, that you preferred <laughs> this one to the other two? Um, oh, it's like, well, it's probably like your children, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you're probably not supposed to have, have favourites. You shouldn't but, be saying it. Um, I think, but I think in this one, in terms of the process, I think with this one, you know, I had kind of... You know, it was my third one, so I'd, I'd had sort of, I guess, the benefits of all the lessons I'd learned from the first two, and I had sort of the, the experience and things. So I think I was able to tap in a lot quicker to how I wanted it to come together. And, um, you know, I was able to sort of, I guess, maybe make those decisions in my mind, you know, more easily. So, um, yeah, and, and it, it was just such a, it was such a fun book to write. The setting and the characters and things just, just came together... Um, in, you know, in a way that really um, I enjoyed writing. So, yeah, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And you got to go to out, Outback Queensland. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the research is so much more fun than writing. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really fun. And it was so um, – and it was something that I probably never would have really done, certainly not in that capacity in terms of, like, the people I managed to speak to and the kind of experiences I had and the things they sort of showed me. Um, you know, I would probably never done that on a kind of personal holiday or anything, but because you've got this kind of book, you can mm. actually, you know, go out and ask people these questions and they'll sort of show you around and things. So, um, yeah, I saw all kinds of things, really. You're probably much braver and go into it in more depth than you would if you were just a tourist because you've got a project and you've got... Um, not a responsibility, but you've got a real reason for for doing what you're doing and going further than you would if you were just 
yeah. a traveller yourself. I think so. And I, I think also, although one thing I would say actually for anybody who is writing a debut novel, I think one thing I learned as a journalist is that actually people will, people are usually quite willing to help you. I, mm. I think that's something that maybe if you haven't done journalism, you're not aware of you know all this kind of resources you can tap into but often if you do you know pick up the phone and ask people people are actually surprisingly willing to you know to chat to you if you explain what you're looking for and what you hope to get from them and you're interested in what they're saying um i found you know most people are actually you know very helpful in that way so i think don't be afraid to kind of reach out and like talk to those people you need to talk to and uh you got that trip to the outback outback queensland with this one did you make trips um for the dry and the, the f- and force of nature. Um, I did, yeah, I did a bit, but not to that, not to this extent. I mean, I think partly because when I was running the dry, I was working full time, and when I was running force of nature, I was pregnant. So um, both of those things kind of limited me to more kind of day trips and um, you know, and sort of conversations with people rather than being able to actually go out for like an extent, extended period, which I could do with this one. Um, so, but I think um, I think it really, you know, it really helped I me mean, being able to sort of kind of have that experience I think really um, even if not everything and not everything does go in the book but just having that kind of I guess that base to sort of build on. Yeah. Uh, three books, three rural settings, one's a farming community, one's the the bush, the Jiralang Ranges and now at Outback Queensland, what's the appeal of rural settings? So there's, um, so there's two things that appeal to me and one is the um, a creative aspect which is I think it just yeah, adds this kind of beautiful, visual, engaging backdrop that people, you know, gives gives people a bit of an escape in terms of, um, yeah, when they're reading it. Secondly, um, I do it for practical reasons because I think if you're writing a book with, um, like, a mystery and you want to kind of have... Um, a set cast of characters, it's a lot easier if you've got them in a slightly isolated setting than if you've got them in a city where, you know, anybody can come and go and there's, you know, hundreds of people Agatha around. Christie's yes, yeah, exactly. That's the, it, yeah, yeah. The yeah. train or whatever. Country yeah. has to be perfect, yeah. So, <laughs> so but that's why I said so it's, sort of two, it's sort of two reasons. But um, And for me also, I just try and like to think of a, a scenario that I would be interested in as well. So you have a kind of start of an idea um, and, it's, and that idea is rarely if ever, you know, in on a city street, really. Uh, one last question to finish up. Um, for all those writers out there who want to be the next Jane Harper, <laughs> what's your top writing tip? Um, uh, let's see. Um, so I think, I think if you really are, like, trying to write your first novel, I think... Um, you know, try and well, try and finish it, which I, isn't, I, don't, I don't mean. Like, I know it sounds quite flippant when I say it, but I think there's so many projects out there to get started and don't get finished, and people lose heart because they they see their drafts and they're they're terrible, and they think I can't do this, I can't do this. So for me, for years and years, I honestly thought I can't do this, and then, um, like I said, I kind of worked out what was holding me back, and it was not having not having any kind of external pressure, and it was not having any expectation. And once I kind of got those things, even if they were quite artificial that helped me get far enough that I felt like it's worth finishing. And I think you have to just finish it for yourself and not worry about what's, not worry about what might happen next because that adds a bit of pressure. So just um, focus on at hand, keep building up like a little bit of time, a little bit of time, and eventually you'll get halfway and then you may as well get to the end because you've done half the work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so straight after this session, after you've bought... Jane's uh, The Dry and the Force of uh, Nature, which is available at the bookshop, and Jane will be uh, signing. 
then go home, or no, don't go home, stay around here, <laughs> but write that book. Please thank Jane Harper. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. This session was recorded live as part of Byron Writers Festival 2018. You can find other recorded talks and discussions from the festival on our website, byronwritersfestival.com.